0: Hello everyone, welcome to yet another episode of The Busy Podcast, where we talk about the behind the scenes of the creative industry. Today we have as a guest Nadia Kosh. she's a very renowned uh, makeup artist, worked with big brands both in Colombia and in Germany, and yes, welcome Nadia, I will let you introduce yourself to the audience.
1: Wow, thank you for having me first, uh, so yes, I've been working as a makeup artist for 16, 17 years now. That's a long time. Mm. And I come from Colombia. Uh, back in Colombia, I was working for um, Rolling Stones, Playboy. I used to do Squire, big publications, mostly fashion. That's my area of expertise. I worked for H&M, I worked for Zara, like big brands, yes. And then I moved to Berlin about two years ago.
0: OK, nice. Um, yeah, um, one thing that I wanted to ask you is that when I was doing a bit of research about yourself, I saw that you were before a makeup artist, you were also a professional dancer. And <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that's actually interesting. So can you tell us about the the journey in this the whole creative industry because it uh, started as I I don't know if it was a visual artist dancer, and then you moved to make artist, how did this happen?
1: Okay, so I basically had a family who was a big fan of the arts. I started dancing when I was four years old uh, since I was a baby, essentially I was uh, shown around dance studios and then... I danced for the majority of my childhood until I was about 18, 20. I stopped dancing. Uh, Then about the same time, because my family is an overachiever, I studied some music and then I also started to paint and draw. And about when I, I graduated high school when I was 13, which is very unusual, but that gave me time. And when I was 15, then I suddenly traveled to Argentina, which is where I learned to be a makeup artist. Like that was a profession you existed. And then I did the switch, like a year later, I started switching full-time into makeup artistry. But yeah, my family, it's all their fault.
0: Yeah, nice. And one thing that I actually wanted to ask you as well was like, uh, given that you studied painting and also dance, how do you think these other creative activities influenced in your kind of makeup journey?
1: Well, the thing about it is... As a dancer, you sort of create a character on stage. And you create create this character with an emotional connection. And so when I started doing makeup, basically what was happening was I was creating characters. I was trying to create or recreate emotions, sort of. And so my thing began more like a storytelling thing with makeup. It is not just that makeup looks pretty. It's just that makeup needs to communicate something. We're talking about faces. We're talking about identities. And in fashion that works really well because that's what you're meant to do. You're meant to embody the woman of the collection. You're meant to embody someone's values or someone's story. So that is a little bit of the mixture. What happened with the part of me that was a painter is that it's more than just pretty makeup. I'm very interested in the textures. I'm very interested in the colors. I like to play a little bit with the morphology of the faces. And so it's not just one single language. I, I like to mix it up a little bit. And definitely, it's a big influence, I have to say.
0: OK, that's actually ver- that's very, very interested. Um, and, and I see that you, as you were saying, when you have a makeup done, you're kind of uh, creating a character. And I, I was looking in your portfolio and you did a few different like industries, let's put it this way, more like in the sports with, um, I don't know, Adidas or something. Yeah. And then you have also done makeup for fashion editorial, more commercial. How these different industries, um, yeah, how they ask something different for their makeup? Because I, I think when you're doing sports, you're not supposed to be over the top is just more, I think, of like, I don't know, helping to shape the light maybe, or how and in fashion you have a bit more room to explore kind of creative, how this, this um, difference between um, yeah, the jobs, the industries?
1: So as a makeup artist, I would divide what I do in like three different sort of pillars to say. I would divide one, which is a technical skill, and technical skill is everything that has to do with lighting. Are we doing natural lighting? Are we doing studio lighting? Is this a beauty shot? Are we doing very intense, strong lights, strong shades? That's the technical side. Then you have, of course, the creative side, which tells you a little bit more about, like, hey, is this, what is the client? What is the context that you're creating makeup? Um, and that sort of gives you the direction of how crazy you can go, or how not. How you can just be a little bit more quiet, a little bit more sober, and still punch something in with your makeup proposal. And then you have the third component, which is logistics which is handling time and being in production and understanding what are the resources and how is it that you're moving with the production set because you're not just a makeup artist in vacuum. You have a set. So I think those are the three that allow you a little bit to be very... You can change a lot. You can shapeshift a little bit as a makeup artist. So, for example, working with Adidas, if you're working in location, you know that you have daylight. You know that perhaps you're in the beach... And then you sort of understand from the technical standpoint what that also means going into the creative point. Um, and again understanding who is your client and what is their universe. It's really really, really important.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very good point because um, as you were saying the the sides there is the time is something that I didn't consider before because um, I don't know if you have ever worked like with film bigger film productions, but I guess like if you go for... And this is actually another point that I wanted to bring like in film, many people think about makeup artists, this is uh, more into like beauty, making someone look good. but there is way more than than just that. like what people don't realize that when they see like a uh, a blue eye in a television, it's probably like the guy was not punched. This is made like by yeah. makeup. so it's how is it this like interesting of creating the character? What do you think that like in this industry? many people oversee when it's a job um, like simple like this or how is your relationship with with this kind of um, the types of... um
1: I'm going to go back to something Mm -hmm. very complicated and intricate that we will apparently be no connection here, but uh, patriarchy made us think that beauty is superficial. And it made us think that because we think about identities in a very like superficial way. You know, the way I woke up today is just the way that I woke up today. But when you work on a set, you're trying to reproduce the human experience in a campaign or in a film. You're trying mm-hmm. to reproduce a human experience and you're trying to make people connect with said human experience. And so you sort of have to base a little bit your ideas around what everybody can relate to. That is sort of a universal language. I and mean, in faces, it's very, is very simple. We all have faces uh, and also to the story that you're trying to tell. So it's really a collaborative effort because you're thinking about all these things. You're thinking about, yeah, technically, is this going to look great in this setting? But also, is this something that we can relate to? What is the character going through? So when you go through films and you go through the industry, I sort of love to collaborate in terms with the entire team. I am someone who's always very much looking to the entire 360 of the entire situation and thinking, hey, you just did a very cool lighting change here. What if we put something reflective that is going to catch the light a little bit better? And I think that's the extra component that makes makeup pop. You can have, of course, someone on set that is just going to put powder so that the faces look match, But there is a difference. And when we talk about this combination of images that need to tell you a little bit something. What I like to do is create this sort of bridge between the human experience and the makeup that we're having there. So if I'm doing an editorial, for example, I will very much on purpose put a little bit of textures, put a little bit of a hidden component so that when somebody's browsing through this magazine or scrolling down Instagram, they're going to stop for a second and enlarge the image and be like, oh, that's cool. It's the little effects. And if I'm working in film, I wanna work with my actor and I wanna know how they're going to emote because I wanna help them emote so that the, the job with the body is not so big. The job with the face is not gigantic effort. So if we're going for a crying thing, I wanna work with my actor to understand what the movement is going to go and how I can help them tell the story with makeup. Again, it's very easy to believe that beauty is superficial but when you go into the like fine detail of it in what we do, creating images, then you really have to think about the human connection and how you speak to the human that is on the other side looking at this product.
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying because I think this is a lot like going back to what you're saying in like the technique, the logistics and everything. This is something that, you can use the technique for, but technique won't kind of teach you, right? You have to understand human emotion and human psychology in order to understand what you want to convey. And I think this goes from, like, as you were saying, the whole moving image or still image. Yeah. It, it's it's a team effort to to convey the, the message that it wants to be conveyed, right? Um, and, yeah, on that point, I wanted to ask you... Um, when you're on set, how is your relationship with the other people on set? Like if you're in a film, do you talk a lot with the DP, the actors? This I kind of have an idea, but I just wanted like people there see a makeup artist, as you were saying, like, oh, it is a silo. You go there and get the makeup. How is it the, like your interaction with other um, pieces of the, yeah. of the production so uh, people can have an idea on the, the gear of the whole machine, you know?
1: Well, this is interesting because uh, what I'm about to say sounds like a complaint, and maybe it is. But it's very often that the makeup artist is not going to be taken serious. It's very often that we're going to be overlooked and like sort of underestimated on set. And so every set is an opportunity to create report with a team. Back in Colombia, easy because I knew everybody and sort of everybody knew me. And so creating report was a little bit easy. But still, in a place like Berlin, you sort of earn a little bit the trust. And you earn a little bit of trust with uh, everything from the get-go. Like how you approach the set first time, uh, first hour, and then you ask the photographer, hey, how is your light going to be today? And then you sort of ask for the mood boards. That's sort of establishing a line of communication where you're not there just to put the powders on top, but you're there to actually collaborate with the entire team. But it takes a while, it takes a lot of confidence, I will say. And also again, because beauty is oftentimes thought of as this very superficial layer that has nothing to do with the rest of the technical gear, you know, like the especially more in film, I have to say. I've been underestimated a lot more than film. Oh no, it's just just powder. So a little bit of presence of course helps a lot. My job is to make sure that the final product is perfect from my perspective. I'm there to save money in terms of post-production. And to do so, I need to be able to speak to the people. So you cannot be shy. You have to go into the set and be like, Hi, I think the eye looks a little bit weird. Can I fix that, please? And so you create a report with assistants. You create a report with the DP. You create a report with absolutely everyone. Even with the director, most of the times I'd like to talk to the director First thing in the morning, and be like, "Hi, I'm the makeup artist today." We have these ideas, these ideas, these ideas. Mostly, I like to do that in pre-production to get to know a feeling of the team, especially if we are like doing a big campaign. But if I don't have the time now, first thing in the morning, I will introduce myself to everybody.
0: Perfect. No, I think that's that's a really great insight on on how it should be in every set because, um, yeah, in the end, we are all working towards creating the best visual products to support the story that is being told, being like a campaign, a movie, or any medium, um, per se. Um, Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, your journey, because you said you started um, doing makeup artists um, at Artistry back in, when you were like 15, 16. um, And now you work with these big brands and big productions. How was the the, the path to get there? Like, how I'm just asking this because many people might have an idea, oh, I want to be a makeup artist, but they don't really know, like, what are the steps that I need to take or or like this. So, if you could share a bit of your journey to inspire,
1: it's (laughs) been a weird journey. I think the journeys are very personal to every single one of us because Mm. they are reflective of our experience and how confident we feel. I started doing makeup because at the time uh, it was an easy way of making money. It was not a lot, but it was a lot better than being uh, waiters. So, I started assisting somebody and then when I came back to Colombia, I thought of uh, of the entire makeup artist situation as just a uh, like a financial support like side job, really. At the time I'm talking about the 2000s, 2007, 2006, something like that. Being a makeup artist was not as popular as it is right now. So there has been an increase in the industry. And because it was not so popular, it was a very closed-up community, which meant I had to go and like knock a lot of doors, talk to a lot of people, ask to be an assistant. I never got to be an assistant, actually, aside from my time in Argentina where I was assisting this person that I knew. I never got to be an assistant because the community was so small and the industry was so, like, closed up that nobody wanted to invite a young person into the set. Mm. So what I started doing was a lot of it was uh, self, like self-doing things. So talking to people, being like, hey, do you want to do photos? And then you sort of grab a photographer and you start doing your own portfolio. That's how I started That's how I did the transition to fashion. Because at the time, there was a Flickr community. I'm talking a lot of years ago. And somebody saw my thing on Flickr and was like, hey, cool, I need something for blah, blah, blah. And then I started from there. And so it really was a process where somebody saw my work online and somebody contacted me. And then it was like a little bit of a snowball. And that was the majority of my work until I got nominated out of the blue for some fashion awards in my country as a, ma- as a best makeup artist. It was a surprise. At the time, I was not doing covers. But it was the sort of introduction into a lot of more profis. And so then I started doing the big brands. After I got nominated, it's a big plot twist in the story. And the way that I spoke, the way that I produced my ideas, the way that I presented them... Sort of appeal to bigger customers and sort of appeal to the um, editorial industry. Because I was not just putting powders, I was (laughs) actually creating a story. And that's how it started to go. And at some point, (laughs) I was old enough, funny, I was old enough to be sort of like a um, mentor to the younger generation of, of creatives bank in my country. So a lot of the big brands would bring me on team because it would mean that there was somebody there who sort of knew how things were meant to go. And so, yes, that's essentially how it started to go. The weird thing about it is there was a moment where I was doing a lot of commercial work, a lot of big brands, and somebody would be like, oh my God, that's amazing. I'm in the high top of my career. And I started to have anxiety of being of like a plateau, of not going forward. And that's when I sort of decided I needed to have a stop. I wanted to do a master's in fine arts. COVID happened. And then I moved to Germany. And then I'm starting from scratch in Germany, which is really funny because it means I have all the skills that a pro in big productions has. I don't have big customers. Well, I do. Like, I don't want to be disrespectful to my clients here, I do, but it's not the same speed. I was used to producing a lot, a lot of content. Like, if I see portfolio-wise, and Germany is really slow, and it takes a while, and as somebody who's no longer in her early 20s, but in her early 30s, I don't have the social battery to go out there and, like, say, hi, nice to meet you, my name is Nadia, and do all the social connections. So instead of that, you sort of have to think more clearly about what it is that you do. So right now, my main focus is I won't do projects that are not paid unless I have complete creative direction over what it is that I'm doing, and I'm sort of guaranteed a couple of things. Like, I'm going to have photos for my portfolio. Um... So, yes, it's a very different experience for all of us. In my case, it was everything had to do self-sufficient for a little bit. I had to produce my own images at the beginning, and then people came.
0: Yes. No, brilliant. Thank you a lot for sharing um, the journey. And I think this is like, if I can kind of summarize, um, it's also uh, advice that we've heard before. And I think it, it's it been said many, many times, but you create the work you want to be known for and with that clients they're that looking for that specific work it will end up in the end approaching you because you're showing that like your passion and your creativity in the project even though like what pe- pe- people call spec products passion products mm-hmm. but these are basically projects that you would love to do even if it's not paid but if somebody pays you it's that that Lucky spot, right? Where you're getting paid to do what you actually love, and I think that can show a lot.
1: I was lucky enough, I was lucky Mm. enough that my former market loved somebody who could do it all, like I was able to do it from like very simple, clean beauty to like really editorial, heavy looks. I was very lucky because that caught the eye of many clients. It was like, Oh, that's creative, that's cool, that's something different. Berlin as a space is a lot more about creativity. And in that regard, then, when you hone your commercial skills, you can make money, yes. But are you having fun while making money? Sometimes, no. Sometimes it's not going to happen. And so, as a, yes, a rule of thumb, uh, for Berlin specifically, this was invented in my case. I don't do projects that are not paid, I love, look, I am, I'm a lefty in many things politically speaking. Uh, I do remember that I live in a capitalist world. And so if I'm not getting paid, I'm not, I'm not in the mood for collaboration anymore. Also because collaboration is beautiful when it's actual collaboration. Yes. But if you don't have time to like sort of process the ideas and come with something that is new and fresh to you and you're not honing your skills creatively or technically... Then you're sort of wasting the time with that collaboration.
0: Yes, no, I totally agree. Yeah, um, this I, I was meaning more like in the beginning of your career, or if you want to change paths on your career, I think it, this is a could be something. But yeah, you shouldn't ju- do just because it's a cool project. If it's something that you already have the skills and yeah. you already have the know-how on how to do it, you should be charging because this is your skill and this is your service. Um, you don't go to a restaurant and it's like oh I really like a restaurant can you give me food for free like that doesn't happen You yeah. know, it's in, in the creative industry many people disregard this as a service and they think it's a kind of a hobby because many people have it as a hobby um, so I think this is also um, the differentiation between like look I do this professionally this is my job like if you are a good friend maybe I can do something but it's a hard no if there's not giving me more creative freedom to express something that I want and then I think it's new that I didn't have in my portfolio before. Yeah. Like in these cases, I think it's okay. But if you're doing more of the same that you already have mm-hmm. the skills and you already have in the portfolio, you shouldn't be doing it for free because otherwise you're just like devaluating your own kind of skills, right? Yes,
1: yes. and Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Yeah, um, another thing that I wanted to ask is a bit on this um, topic is mm. especially when you go to these more bigger productions where you have, like, as you're like saying, you're one piece of the set, how much creative freedom you are giving to execute on kind of your vision aligned with the product or it's more like I want this and you just go and deliver what the client has, how is this? like the amount of creative freedom that you get on on the project?
1: It really changes a lot from project to project, mostly because when you're working in fashion, you're working hand by hand with the stylist, and the stylist is going to have the creative control over the shoot. So when you have a client, for example, that is a designer, the stylist is going to have the ultimate goal for the shoot. In my case, I like to create the creative report very early on, So when I'm approached for a project, I will ask, like, hey, do you have a brief? Do you have a mood board? And then I'll be explaining to my client, cool, let me take a look. I can propose something. Let me send you back mood boards. This is how I immediately tell my client, I am not doing just what is there. I am bringing something because this is my skill. This is what you're paying me for. And usually when the report happens that you're talking to a stylist and the stylist sends you the mood board and you said like, oh, cool, let me do like a counter proposal. Uh, I'll send you some mood boards later. They're always really happy and they are immediately taking it back and being like, oh, cool. So this is a collab. This is a conversation we're having over what is the beauty look for the photo shoot or the campaign. Uh, It really starts with reproduction. If you don't have the time, because a lot of times you don't have the time, then you do it on the set as well. You come up with a few references prepared and you talk before you touch the model. Mm -hmm. You talk about references. But that's sort of how you create the report with uh, a big team. With a big team, it's also important to understand that a lot of the things that you're being hired for need to go through approvals. So you need to pay attention to how you're presenting your mood boards. They have to convey the final effect a lot of makeup artists make the mistake of like oh yeah cool liner and they send a photo of a full makeup a full face and they just wanted to convey the liner well the client does not know that you just want the liner and so it's looking at the entire face and that's how you'll lose sort of the credibility that you can have with your client in this regard mood boards are big skill to have when you're talking to big clients. They're sort of the way you introduce yourself to the team, they're the sort of the way that you establish a language that you're comfortable using. It makes no sense for you to talk to someone who doesn't speak makeup in makeup terms. It makes more sense to use the effect, the final effect that you're going for. What is it that you're trying to communicate with the makeup? And so definitely with bigger clients, you have to create that report very quickly. It's almost like negotiating. You're negotiating your rate. You create a report kind of quickly. With creative uh, endeavors, you create that report. And when you really look at the mood boards, then you can counter-proposal something that is within that creative space.
0: This I can relate as well on the, on the technical side that we were talking about, like not speaking makeup language to non-makeup artists. I think as a, also as a cinematographer, sometimes you, you can think in your head, you're like, oh, I can make the aperture a bit this, or I can use this technique. And half of the words you're saying, probably the director, if he hasn't been a DP before, might not even understand. Uh, a great example is like um, Annie Leibovitz. She, like, I heard she talking one time about her creative process. And she said like, oh, I have an assistant that takes care about the camera settings and everything. What I want in a portrait, I was like, I want the light to be softer here. I want these moods to be here. And I have the technical people that take care about the technical side because I am here, I'm a photographer, but I don't care about the camera. I care about the photograph that is being taken. And I focus on the art of the photography not the technicalities. And what you're saying was funny because many people, they are just inclined, as you say, like start talking technical language because this is how you do it. Um, but forget a bit of like, okay, I just sh- should explain why I want to do and what I want to achieve and then how I actually do it. They won't really care. Like the technicalities behind it and goes a bit about the, the lighting. It's like, oh, we can put 30 more watts of light here. It's like the director doesn't yeah. care about it. You know, it's like, yeah, not
1: really. you have to gauge a little bit who you're talking to and how much background they have into what you're saying or not. Um, there are moments where you have to bring forward this creative person that can speak creative. Cause I think that's a language. And there are moments where you have to bring the technician forward and can speak technician. Uh, you have to gauge a little bit who you're talking to. But clients, for the most part, they just care about the effect. They just care about, okay, at the end it's going to look very pretty. Maybe I'm oversimplifying, but yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, now that you touched about the client, um, one other question I had for you is, they're saying like some jobs you get more creative freedom, less creative freedom. Do you have first a dream client that you would like oh this i really want to get involved collaborate with um, a client specifically you have a dream client and if you have a dream kind of um let's put it like a dream production a dream project like how would um the team how your interaction with the team what would be your dream project not as in like this specific product Mm -hmm. but like oh i would love to have um be involved from the beginning, I sit down with these and these and these creatives together in pre-production. We bounce these these ideas. So like more about the setting and the environment um, and the client, because I think one thing is the production and another thing is the client. So yeah, if you have any dream client and dream kind of settings that we would love to work at.
1: I mean... I have been very lucky that I've had dream clients come to life. Um, if, if you talk to the creative in me, the dream client is to work with another creative that understands that we are all of us there, we're collaborating, we're on the same level, and that we really are nerds about it. You want to work with someone who's passionate, and in fashion, for example, the nerds, you can pick them up with a, like a five-second introduction to models. If somebody can speak to you about, like, certain runways, you know that you're in good company and you're going to enjoy the ride. So, of course, somebody who speaks your same language, dream team. Like, a dream team is when you can actually make inside jokes and references within the 30 30 minutes of meeting each other on set. Because it's usually how it goes a little bit. Fashion is really fast-paced. You have to create a report really fast. So, dream client, dream environment would be something like this. Nerds that are passionate about it, that are good people, that do not forget their manners, amazing. That's that's dreamy-like. Dream client or dream project would be maybe to work with a brand that is very creative. There is this brand that is uh, British, which is um, it's great, great images. They create great images. It's uh, called Ilimaska. And it's dreamy because you have to do A lot of technical work for... When you work for brands, you have to do a lot of technical work as a makeup artist, but you also have to be creative and fresh enough so that it does not look like you're following somebody else's trend. And so dream project would be to work for a beauty brand in terms of, like, creating campaigns and ads. Actually, when there's this makeup artist, this is just for the makeup artist that is looking at this. Alex Box at Illimasca, the photos were so beautiful. Like, that's how you do a beauty campaign. That's sort of my dream job if I had to. Uh, but dream team, nerds that are good people. Because a lot of people forget their manners, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I can believe that. Um, yeah, I think one thing that, many many directors dps say um especially in in the film industry that is like larger projects you can be like a year together and and they say like this becomes your family so if you have a very annoying brother or have annoying uncle like in terms of production it's like you're gonna have to deal with them for the foreseeable future some campaigns um could also last weeks you know so your weeks day in day out working with the same people so if this family is not enjoyable you're probably gonna have a miserable couple of days or weeks um, sometimes months in the film industry ahead right so it's, it's very important that the team gets along I guess
1: yes but also in fashion mostly you change teams kind of fast like you're today working with this team tomorrow you're working on another team and the Big difference that good manners make is like you make people feel welcome, comfortable, and then you want to work with them again. Maybe they were not a great makeup artist, but they're a lot of fun. So maybe you want to work with them again. And sometimes we forget the human connection of it all, in In especially in studios. It is high pressure. Yes. It means money. Yes. Can we be nice about it? Maybe yes. And then everybody enjoys the day of production. I think that's... that's a A strong point about the dream client
0: perfect thank you very much Um, another thing i wanted to ask you is because you lived in so many different countries you were like you moved to argentina to study and then you made it back to colombia and then you made the name for yourself there and then now you're starting kind of over as you said here does the, the the industry itself change a lot from geography basically like the clients you would have in Colombia, they might have very different requirements and even the production itself might happen in a very different way, right? How is this difference between countries and, and experiences that you have?
1: Yeah, so in dance world, you sort of say that ballet is your universal language. If you speak ballet, you speak everything. Production is very much a universal language in terms of if you know your basics of production, it's going to go well. If you know the basics, like photographer assistant photographer, then you know a little bit what is going to happen in set. It's not going to be that complicated. What it is complicated is the report and what it is that is expected of you. In Colombia, and also the beauty idea, like the idea of beauty, what it is beautiful changes from from like region to region, which is extremely funny because right now trends in fashion are moving towards this. Latina idea of the 90s that is uh, priceless. I I love it because it was thought of as so cheap before. But going back to the beauty idea, again, uh, production is is a universal language. You get by, as long as you understand and you hone your skills, it's not going to change that much. Clients do change. Temperament of clients do change. Report on set changes a little bit. So for example a big difference between Colombia and, and Germany is Colombia is going to take forever to pay you. A client is going to take, a, I don't know, 150 days. Has happened. Uh, Germany is going to be a week. And it's going to be on time. It's great. I love it. Um, but you sort of have to chase a little bit your clients in terms of the creative report. It's not as easy. It's not as easy. And then when you are on set, sometimes you sort of see the way we perceive, like we perceive time on set, and then you sort of realize we're really not being productive. Like this could have been done in thirty seconds. It's the version of uh, production that is like this could have been an email. This could have been done in fifteen minutes. I don't know why we're making it so complicated. Please let's let's do it easy. Um. That is a big difference. It is also a big difference, the expectations. So one of the things that I did when I moved to Germany after a while was that I wanted to learn the language a little bit to like, improve my skills in German and to sort of know the final consumer and what they think. I still don't know what they think because mm-hmm. Berlin as a city is pluricultural. So the, perfo- the, like the, the profile of the client changes from time to time. But Europeans as a whole, in comparison to like, the little fashion industry in Colombia, are insane. Are insane. I, I love to tell my friends back in Colombia, do you remember how we would make fun of those fashion clichés we saw? Like the fashion cliché of Patrick the Marchelier screaming in the street. Um, those are not caricatures. Those are real characters here. They do exist. And people do act like you have to respect them. Nobody's laughing in their face. They should. Nobody should be acting that crazy. But it is a real thing in in Europe. And in the European countries as a whole, you see that a ton. Like this uh, sort of persona, the fashion persona. When you, in reality, like look at it, maybe in New York or in this case, Bogota, we're all exhausted. We all need coffee. Nobody looks that cool. And it's not glamorous. And we don't have that big personality. We laugh a lot and said It's meant to be fun. But we don't have that that crazy fashion persona. I've seen that here plenty of times.
0: Yeah, that makes me think about Emily in Paris. That is about around this like fashion thing, and, and they explore a bit like it's, it's a comedy. So they explore a bit this like glamorous, don't touch me, I'm superior kind of vibe that sometimes can happen. Um, yeah, they make fun of like designers that are like untouchable and and it's funny because yeah i i can definitely see that it could be a very big difference um just because of culture as well um i can see like what you talk about the difference in culture as well because um, me coming from brazil as well uh, if um, i never been on set because i wasn't working there as a filmmaker but we are so much more approachable and everybody is talking to each other all the time and here is way more like okay we have the defined roles and then we talk when whenever our roles cross but sometimes uh, yeah i see that if you are in the light department and i'm in the sound department many times we can spend the whole production day without talking to each other and if i think back in brazil like. Yeah, any idle time they would be, like, chatting, do, talking about football or anything. <laughs> yeah,
1: sure. It's um, one of my favorite references to tell my students is there is an um, interview from Bjork where Bjork says, like, I really don't understand why I'm famous. I'm a singer like anybody else. Like, you are a carpenter, you are a builder. Like, why would that make me deserving of a special treatment? And in fashion, it's really funny. It's it's just, I really think so. It's just the caricature come to life and you just don't understand why this is happening.
0: Nice. You're talking about students and that's one thing that I wanted to touch because we talked a lot about your work on set, your work as a makeup artist, but I saw you also host like master classes and you also have a project... Um, the Kosh Creative Labs, I don't know if you teach there. Can you talk more about these projects you have outside of like being a makeup artist on set? And, and so?
1: Yeah, so Kosh Creative Labs was sort of my love letter to the industry. A little bit after being so many years in it, I realized that education is failing us. Because education and the entire system is based around these traditional ideas. So... When you really realize, even the formats like two hours, who can concentrate two hours? If you're talking to a creative, those two hours, maybe twenty minutes, the creative paid attention, and you sort of have this idea that education has somebody who teaches, somebody who learns, and it's a very like horizontal um, power dynamic. So I created, created, uh, Co-creative uh, Labs as like a sort of a love letter. Of those skills that you sort of need when you're not creative that you don't get. So, uh, because I love to divide shit, uh, Cush Creative Labs was divided into finances, more like this business side of things, like how do you become a brand, what is that you do as a brand, how is it that you pass invoices, something as simple as invoices, how you deal with taxes. Then another one which is more to create, do you do atelier job, like do you do workshops, with yourself? Do you play with your products? Do you play with your cameras? Do you play with lights? That's also very interesting. That's how we keep growing and, like, coming up with new languages or new experiences of language as creatives. And then, of course, you have the technical side. I became a teacher. I am actually from college. My degree as a teacher because mm. I thought the newer generations deserve to not have it as hard as I had it. It is really hard to break through. At the same time, and and this is a very unrelated topic, how ethical is to teach something that is overflowing and that the offer is so big that the prices are going down. It's something I've been lately asking myself, like, is this ethical? I'm getting paid for teaching, but will they have work opportunities in the future? I don't know anymore. Uh, But I started teaching, and teaching sort of, it's a self I don't know how to explain it, but you have the feedback from teaching is that you also grow as a creative. You finally realize what it is that you do methodology-wise with your work and how it is that you achieve a certain result. And so you have this entire moment of like introspection and then you have to talk to your students and troubleshoot their own creative crisis. And it's uh, very fulfilling in this regard. You sort of feed yourself from that space that happens when you are in a classroom. Uh Sadly, since I moved to Berlin, I've stopped KCL as a project. I'm going to pick it up soon. The thing about it is I know the collaborative space uh, and the education aspects of Colombia is different from Germany. So in Germany, you have actual access to college education that is free. That is not the case in Colombia. Creative um, education in Colombia is very expensive. And in that regard, KCL was not made to be um, like a place for like a business as a business was meant to give like large profits. It was mostly to create community. And I believe that that space enrolling is sort of taken. We have community. The thing about the sense of community in Berlin is that it's very fractured and divided. Just like what you were saying with like light and sound, and it's very divided. It's very fractured. You don't get to have like an entire conversation as a creative with a huge amount of people. And most of the times when you go to these spaces, you go to network. You really are not like nerding about the latest thing you did. So we'll see. I think maybe KCL will come back this year. We'll see about it.
0: Perfect, yeah, I wish you all, all the luck with that. And and this is something that we also try to to tackle with like our busy meets and everything is is trying to bring together creatives just to have fun and be creative, you know, without any intention. It's just like sharing a passion that you have and and yeah, um I, I also feel that um here in Berlin you have a very punctual stuff. If you want to talk filmmaking, there is one film group, but that is just filmmakers, and you have portrait photographers, that is just, just portrait photographers, and then you can go even deeper. It's just like off-camera flash, and people go <laughs> to talk about one specific technique of these. Uh, and, and I feel that it's missing this, uh, because in the end, creativity, as you said, is kind of a language, right? Is If we are doing something creative, And it's really hard for you to do everything yourself, like to create something by yourself. It's almost impossible. So you need other people. We really believe that like, as much as you put these people together, you create an environment where creativity can be endorsed and can be shared. And this just, yeah, makes everybody more creative. Um, And I, I love what you said about teaching as well, because I don't know where you heard, but, Someone, like there is a quote, that, like if you really want to learn something, teach it. Yeah. Because then, as you said, you when you teach, you can have the knowledge and the skill, but to teach, you have to be methodological about it. You have to break down into steps and you have to, and you really start to understand what you actually know and what parts of the skills you might need to improve. That you overlooked before because you didn't go that deep into the topic so i love that like i also taught for for many years and i i came to this realization that when i was teaching was the time that i was most learning about the skill i was teaching and for me it's a bit like crazy because you think like oh you're a teacher but i'm teaching because i want to learn and you learn a lot from teaching I wanted to, like, did you yeah. have the same experience?
1: Yeah, for sure. And the dynamics with uh, within a classroom, they really uh, change once you realize you're also learning at the same time your students are learning. It is not that what you're teaching is not something you know. It's mostly that you do know what you're talking about, but you're looking at it from a different perspective, from a different angle. And my... In my respect, a little bit, working with creatives means that you have to be flexible. You have to roll with the punches a little bit. You never know where the brain is going to go. You never know. Uh, I often describe, like, a creative, for me, is a grown person that never lost, uh, never lost the childlike curiosity. And curiosity makes you go in different directions. The brain just bounces back, back and forth. So teaching definitely is a skill to have we should all try and teach i think it will make us all more humble and all more human um and yes you learn a lot a lot from doing it
0: yeah and and another thing that i just thought about is that sometimes your students come up with some ideas and ask you is this possible that you come and like wait, I never thought about doing things this way. I don't actually know if it's possible but it's an interesting angle and yeah, I I just love teaching because of all of these, you know like the interaction with like other creatives and the new ideas that they come up (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and ended up like you can get an idea here and implement maybe in your skill set because it's something that is an angle that you didn't really explore because you're kind of, everybody has its own bubble with own references and we say that like the output that you give is a collection of the inputs you had in the past, right? So the more stuff that you see, the more creative you get because you experience different angles of looking to the same problem. And the more angles you can actually have, this is how more creative and crazier with the ideas you can get.
1: Yeah, for sure. It's a change of paradigms, always changing the point of view where you're standing. Uh, when you're not the one struggling first person with an idea, when you're not the first person that is like in first person going through like workshopping an idea and being like, it's not coming, it's not coming. It's sometimes easier to come up with an answer. It's sometimes easier to come with a solution. And with students, you are always finding new limits, which is really amazing. Uh, again, yeah, uh, teaching for me is a little bit like a love letter to creativity and to creatives because it's really... An environment that i never thought or anticipated i was going to be so submerged so in i definitely think we should take it a little bit more serious sometimes it's not a hobby for a lot of us it's our life uh but yeah sure teaching is amazing i do miss teaching i'm lucky now i get to teach here in berlin sometimes so that's also great
0: uh, that's really nice best of luck on this project as well well, I think we're coming to an end, unfortunately. It's been very nice talking to you. And one last thing I would like to ask you if there you if you have any advice for young um, wannabe makeup artists or makeup artists that are just starting out, like any words of either advice or motivation to these people that are trying to get into Make or make a career with makeup artists, either it's a hobby or...
1: I would say my first recommendation would be to shut out Instagram and TikTok. Just turn it off for a little bit. Just turn it off and instead just open your case and start playing with makeup and start finding what it is that you think is really beautiful. Those ideas that really excite you. You can do it on yourself, you can do it on your mom, you can do it on your aunt, you can do it on your dog. Not with a dog, maybe. But do it... To the point where it becomes muscle memory to like have the skill, to reach the uh, to reach the textures, the colors in your kit, whatever it is that you have, you don't have to have a great amount of products, but just yeah, shut off Instagram, shut off TikTok for a little bit, stop the outside uh, influences, work a little bit with your material, for sure that's going to be a lot of uh, fun. Hone your skill without being afraid of having your own language. A lot of the times what I see with students is that they get super obsessive about being technically perfect, that they forget to have fun. This is meant to be fun. Makeup is a language that you take off with a YP. Have fun. Enjoy it. Play with it. And then be productive. Create the images that you want to see. Don't create for the algorithms. Don't create for Instagram. Don't create for TikTok. Create you have fun with the, the things that you're creating be proud of the things that you're creating and most likely that is going to find you the right customer for you the right client the right space where you can live as a
0: creative i love it i think we couldn't end up in a better note uh, and yeah now just letting people know where where can they find you if they want to connect with you see your work
1: so i'm always on instagram uh, at Nadia Kosh. Everything is related Nadia Kosh. My website is Nadia Kosh. Everything has to do with Nadia Kosh. And so yeah, if they wanna reach out, send a DM, send me an email, whatever it is, I'm happy to meet new people. I'm happy to yeah sort of integrate more into the community that is Berlin.
0: Perfect. Thank you very, very much to being on the podcast. I loved our conversation. I think it's gonna be very valuable for many people so yeah once again thank you very much for coming
1: no thank you guys for inviting me
0: so that's it for this episode um we see you guys in the next one and until then keep creating